Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease, and I'm really excited to be going to the World Parkinson Congress. This is WPC 2019, the official podcast for the 5th World Parkinson Congress. This event's being held June 4th through 7th, 2019 in Kyoto, Japan. This podcast is created in collaboration with the World Parkinson Coalition and my other podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Each episode, we're previewing topics and speakers at this year's WPC. I mean, the podcast is about Parkinson's, the World Parkinson Congress, and travel, and our first guest is kind of an expert in all three. Bring it in, boys. Bring it in. Bring it in, fellas. Talk to me. Talk to me. Seven provinces, three territories, 15 cities, and over 23,000 kilometers. And you are the first winners of the Amazing Race Canada. Tim Hague Sr. has Parkinson's, but it didn't stop him from teaming up with his son to enter and win the first season of Amazing Race Canada. Tim Sr., what do you think your success on this show is going to show Canadians? I would hope that if anything, I could be an inspiration to young onset Parkinson's just to simply get off your ass. Get up and move. Don't let this disease take your life away. Tim is also the author of the book Perseverance, the seven skills you need to survive, thrive, and accomplish more than you ever imagined. Kyoto will be Tim's third World Parkinson Congress, and he joins us now. Tim, great to finally catch up with you. Larry, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Nice to meet you, buddy. Hey, let's start at the beginning. How did Parkinson's enter your life? Uh, You know what? I was a nurse at the time. It was August of 2010, and I was literally sitting in my kitchen, and I'm reading the Saturday morning newspaper, and I have this thought going into my head. My left big toe's twitching. I look down, and sure enough, my left big toe's twitching. I knew right then and there that you don't wake up on any given day, twitchy for no good reason. And um, that was my very first inclination that something was wrong. And that next February of 2011, I was formally diagnosed. But I knew right away that something was up. And I figured it was either Parkinson's or MS because I have uh, my adopted father had Parkinson's when he passed away. And my half-sister has MS. So was was there comfort in knowing that it could be one of those two things? Or did that make it scary? No, there was no comfort. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no comfort. It was. Uh, I was not happy at the thought, and was even less happy with the actual diagnosis. How did you move through that? How did you accept that? What, what was the coming to grips with it? Well, it took a long time, right? As most of us, um, 
being a nurse was both a blessing and a curse because I, I knew where to go to get right information. So that was helpful. But also then I know where to go to get the information. And the more information you have, the scarier it can be sometimes. Um, and so I had no illusions as to what this diagnosis would ultimately mean. And so it, it was tough. The first couple of years, the first year particularly, was really tough. And, um, you know, didn't look after myself as well as I probably should have. And But in time, kind of came to grips with it, got my head around it, said, you know what? There are far worse things in life. There are people in this world who are far less fortunate than I am, even with Parkinson's. And I need to get on with my life. And so since then, we've tried to do that. Uh, I call Parkinson's my new best friend, whom I hate, and uh, we just try to live, <laughs> try to live together in some semblance of peace, and uh, move on and and fight back against it every day. Yeah, I, I, I've referred to it as my frenemy for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so how long after the diagnosis did you say, "Yeah, you know what? Let me uh, enter the Amazing Race Canada." <laughs> Well, that was entirely my wife's idea. That was her doing. She had always been a fanatic fan of the U.S. show and had always said, if it comes to Canada, we're going to apply. So lo and behold, uh, you know, I was diagnosed in 2011. In 2012, late in the year, she finds out that they're going to be running their first season in 2013. So she says, we're going to apply. So we applied. And lo and behold, they had never done anything with Parkinson's before. And that was the uh, that was the hook. That's what got them interested. Ended up on the show and managed to somehow win the thing. <laughs> and, and through that process of traversing across Canada, what did you learn about yourself? Well, I learned that you can do more than you think you can. Um, you know, I just had no idea what Parkinson's was going to do to me along this this race. Um, I learned that um, you sometimes need your young boy to get you through a tough day. There are some things that you just need a young, strong, strapping young man for. And that uh, family is as important as we think it is. That uh, We had a great time together, and it was in large part because he hauled me through a couple of things that we actually managed to win the, th- win the thing. Do you find it easier, the more you ask for help or admit, I can't do this today, uh, that it gets easier over time to not put on that veneer of, oh, I'm great today, even when you're not? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> you still do it, don't you? Yeah, it's, it's always hard, right? I'm 54 years old. Uh, I'm not even at Freedom 55 yet, and yet I've been retired for three years. Uh, that's still a hard pill to swallow. Uh, And I think there's lots of us like that, that it's just tough a lot of days. But I work very hard at staying balanced, at realizing that there are millions, if not billions of people on the planet who would trade places with me today, even with my Parkinson's, if they had the choice. Because my life is still so much better in so many ways than so many people. So you you try to keep that perspective that regardless of Parkinson's, I have been blessed beyond measure. So on those days when I don't want to ask for help, on those days that I'm irritated that I do have to ask for help, try to remember to just ask and be gracious in it nonetheless. 
You know, one of the great features of uh, the World Parkinson Congress is the roundtables. And on Thursday, June 6th, you're leading one of those roundtables called Living Well with Young Onset Parkinson's. But what should people expect if they sit down at your table? Well, we're going to be talking about uh, wellness activism and having uh, a mindset of an athlete and how we get our heads around this thing, how we think about ourselves, how we think about our futures, and what how do we how do we attack this thing proactively but but practically as well you know that there are there are facts that there are days when parkinson's puts limits on me and i often said early on in my disease that parkinson's will never define me it will never set parameters on my life i will call the shots well eight years in we grow up and find out that that's just not the case parkinson's has put parameters on my life. It does change things, but it doesn't change everything. There are still many, many things that I can do, and, um, well, like my movement disorder specialist said to me when I was first diagnosed, he said, I wish I could make all of my patients athletes. And so that's one thing that I continue to work at. So that's interesting. I'm not an athlete, and when we meet in person, you'll see that I don't have the body of an athlete. (laughs) I don't have have the drive to exercise. In fact, I hate it, but I do it. Uh, I've never been an athlete. What what is the mind of an athlete? To succeed, to better yourself. And I tell people all the time, don't don't compare yourself to me. I am not the, the criterion here that everybody needs to go out and be a runner, that everybody needs to run as fast as Tim or whatever. We know for fact that exercise is good for us as people with Parkinson's. So if we want to be successful with our Parkinson's, we have to now deal with this aspect of our medication. Because lots of times I didn't take medication for three years until I, when I first was diagnosed. And that worked out okay. I probably should have started a little sooner, but it worked out okay. Exercise is your medication. Are you willing to take your medication? It may be Buckley's. It may taste horrible, but work. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, you got to be willing to take your medication because we know that exercise will make us better. I know. I, every day I wake up, I go, okay, I got to do something today. Got to do something more today. And I do. You know, and well, some days I don't. Some days I go, you know what? Not today. And then I got to wow. be okay with that. And then tomorrow I'm back at it. That's right. Some days I don't do anything. We all have those days. But it's that mindset that says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get there. And day after day, we fight the battle to get ourselves there. And then we, we make sure we have community, right? We can't do this stuff on our own. We need a community to support us and encourage us and every now and then call me up and say, Tim, get your butt out of bed. Let's go. (laughs) That's true. Uh, You know, I couldn't do without all the people around me supporting me and giving me encouragement and and, and people I meet like you. I mean, uh, every time I meet somebody else that's living well with Parkinson's, it's inspiring. Yeah. And, And the same is for me. I need people who keep me inspired. And I do. You know, I think of Jimmy Choi, American Ninja Warrior guy. Uh, I watch him on social media, and I'm just astounded at what the guy accomplishes. Um, There are many, many others that I could note across social media and around the world that I've had the opportunity to meet, specifically through World Parkinson's Congress, who keep me motivated, 
who keep me inspired. And that's important. It's important to have that larger community. Well, talk about the World Parkinson Congress. You were there in Portland. What was it like? You know, the world, I've had the opportunity to attend to now. I went to Montreal in 2013 and Portland in 2016. Now Kyoto, this uh, coming up. And it is a fascinating opportunity. It is the only event of its kind for Parkinson's where everybody associated with Parkinson's shows up. Uh, researchers, docs, family, people with Parkinson's, and everything in between. And you get a unique perspective on how this disease is treated, researched, attacked, fought back against, looked at, responded to on every single imaginable plane, imaginable plane, if you will, however you can think of it. And it, uh, it's really, really neat. Um, I'm not a big research buff, personally, but I'm fascinated by all that is going on for us on our behalf, trying to not only find symptom control, but to look for a cure for the disease. And then all of the people around the world who do the things that I'm interested in, in wellness and living well, and how they respond to the disease. And I've literally gotten to know people from all over the world, from Africa to Europe to Asia to all across North America, all because of the World Parkinson's Congress. So as a veteran of uh, now two World Parkinson Congress, going on three, what advice can you have for new guys like me who've never been and who look on the website and see 400 things on the agenda going, what do I do? How do I, how do I manage this? Well, the first time I showed up, I didn't know what I was doing. Second time I showed up, I did a little bit better. And hopefully this time I get it down right. But make a clear schedule. Um, and remember how you're going to be feeling because we're going to be on the other side of the planet. Our time zones are going to be all screwed up. And so you're going to have to plan in your, your naps and then pick enough stuff that you can get to that you can manage. Uh, and don't, don't try to overdo it, but find the things that are important to you. Schedule it in and then schedule in your breaks and leave a little bit of flex time in it because there'll always be something pop up that you think, oh, I really want to do that or I really want to get together with those people or see this thing that you hadn't caught before. But don't try to do everything because um, especially with the time zone change and we're dealing with Parkinson's ourselves, we've got to leave time for, for some rest and catch up. So as the Amazing Race Canada champion season one, you probably have some travel tips or life hacks for, you know, packing for Kyoto. What, what, what's, your, what's your trick of the trade that you can share with us? Pack light. Do not take your wardrobe. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody cares if you wear the same shirt twice. Pack light. Because it's, traveling is, is going to be hard on us to start with. It is a long ways from North America, if that's where you're traveling from. Um, you don't want to be dragging tons of stuff through airports. And you don't want to lose stuff. You don't want to have a bunch of stuff packed away that you know the airline loses, and then you think, well, I will likely go to Kyoto for two weeks with a carry-on. What? That's with a carry-on? Yeah. With a carry-on. Uh, we will often do laundry on the road. Um, Believe it or not, you can do laundry anywhere in the world. Um, we pack very light when it comes to toiletries 
because the toothpaste in Japan will work just as well as the Colgate in North America. The hairspray in Japan will work just as well as the hairspray here. There's Everything can be bought somewhere else. It may not be the same brand, and it may not look and smell exactly like your brand. But it's only it's only a week. You can manage with something new. So those are the things you're not taking. What is the one like must-pack item, the sort of luxury thing that you're going to be taking with you? All right, this will be silly, but a hoodie. A hoodie. I hate I hate being cold, man. Oh, it's going to be hot, man. Pink. It's going to be hot. No. And if it's hot, they turn on air conditioning in the buildings. <laughs> <laughs> that is how much I hate being cold. Well, Tim, it's it's a pleasure talking to you. I look forward to uh, your your roundtable, and I look forward to meeting you in Kyoto. And all, all the best and safe travels on your way over there. Thank you, Larry. You too. Look forward to meeting you and safe travels to you as well. Elaine Book is known to a lot of people, have been to the World Parkinson Congresses in the past. She's a social worker at the Pacific Parkinson's Research Center in Vancouver, British Columbia. And she loves, L-O-V-E-S, loves the WPC. It's in my bones. I, I just believe in it so greatly. So how I tend to describe it is it's an amazing conference where you're bringing under one roof together researchers, scientists, um, neurologists, allied health, including social workers, nurses, OTs, PTs, uh, speech-language pathologists, so all the allied health, along with the people with Parkinson's and their family. And so it's this um, amazing opportunity for all those invested in Parkinson's disease to come together under one roof and hear um, opinions and ideas from all these different perspectives. All right, so this is my first World Parkinson Congress. I'm traveling around the world to Kyoto. What do I need to do to prepare? So, you know, I think as a person with Parkinson's coming to this event, and and the same for any other allied health as well, it's an enormous program. There is a lot going on every hour of the day. It's a little Um, overwhelming when you look at the the webpage. You're like, what do I choose? Right. And so I would really actually spend a fair bit of time looking at that program before you land in Kyoto and really plotting out what is it that you want to see, including some of the social stuff and some of the non-lecture activities, because there are different demonstrations going on at lunchtime and in the evenings. And and so I would encourage people to take advantage of those. So I think what I would say is I would say PACE yourself. And and it's almost an acronym, P-A-C-E, pick activities carefully or else, you know, for a person with Parkinson's, <laughs> that kind of stamina, you know, to make it from nine in the morning until nine at night, it's, it's too much. So really just pick those activities carefully and really look at the program in advance and try to leave time every day to almost debrief for yourself. It's an incredibly inspiring conference, um, meeting lots of new people and hearing lots of new information. But I think it's uh, important to provide yourself with the time to, to process it all. 
Now, I'm really excited about the track that you're part of, the, the workshop that you're, you're part of, because it's about young onset. And right. that's near and dear to my heart since I have young onset Parkinson's. Uh, right. Your title, uh, your talk is titled PD is in the house, impact on children, teens, and young adults. What can people expect if they choose to attend your, your talk? My talk in particular is really going to be looking at the common reactions uh, or ways in which children might be impacted by having Parkinson's in the house. And what is it that the parents can do to best support those children on this family journey? Um, I also plan to to talk a little bit also about just family wellness ideas as well. So that's kind of the gist of my 20 minutes in that panel. Okay. And so what kind of impacts have you seen Parkinson's have on kids when the parent's diagnosed? It really runs the gamut. And I think it's important to say that just because somebody has Parkinson's in the house does not mean that every child is going to have an issue, that that there's not necessarily going to be adjustment issues just because somebody has Parkinson's disease. But certainly some of the reactions, you know, some of the common feelings that children have experienced can be around shame and kind of self-consciousness because Parkinson's disease has an unusual presentation at times. And there are a variety of different reactions that children might be exposed to from from their friends or from even strangers in the grocery store. There can be anxiety about the stress in the home that's related to the Parkinson's disease. There can be just genuine feelings of sadness, of fear, anger, and grief about the changes and the losses in the experiences. Um, some children actually have expressed feelings of loneliness because the well parent, when I have my fingers doing a quote unquote there, the well parent might be having to spend more time with the person with Parkinson's um, and worry, just worry about the future, depending on what age and stage the children are at, uh, they might have different worries. So some might be worried about getting Parkinson's themselves. Other maybe late teens might worry about, well, can I really go away to university and leave my parents at home? Um, So lots of different kinds of worries. Um, And certainly frustration, um, feeling overwhelmed, a range. But those are kind of all of the negative association of feelings because there are a lot of positive impacts that come from having Parkinson's disease in the home as well. And I think it's important that those are recognized too, where children might um, really develop, um, you know, improved coping skills for themselves. They can develop a sense of pride and maturity and empathy and compassion that they may not otherwise be able to, you know, be exposed to if there wasn't a chronic illness in their home. Um, They might become more accountable to their family, to their home responsibilities. And this really leads to greater independence in children. So, um, we always have to kind of remember that there are some positives that have come from this as well. Certainly. Are there things that parents should look out for, like uh, telltale signs? And, and, and then 
how do, how do we deal with it? Because I, I know my son, he'll, he'll, he'll get angry at me. He'll get frustrated. He'll, he'll feel lonely. Like, I just want to play with dad. And dad's like, oh, my man, I can't get on the floor. You know? Right. So, right. So, like, we, we have pretty open conversations with him about it. We don't hide anything from him. We answer his questions. But, again, the, the, it, every day is so different. It's hard to explain the abstract of Parkinson's to a nine-year-old. Right. And so, and so what I think, you, and correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, but I think what you were asking, telltale signs, well, ultimately, you know, you and everybody else knows their children best. They know how they manage change. They know how, you know, how to best support them through more challenging times. And so, you know, I think if you see a shift in the way your child seems to be living every day, then that's kind of your telltale sign. You know, if, you know, some kids who are, you know, always gregarious and full of life and, you know, eager to go to school and eager to play with their friends. And all of a sudden there's a, you know, or over time, there may be a shift in what that's looking at. That would then be assigned to that parent. But other kids are completely different. There are some kids who really are very quiet and don't talk a lot or not very open. So the fact that they're not very open once the Parkinson's disease has emptied the, entered the family, well, that may not be, uh, you know, a sign of anything not going well. That's just who the person is. And so it's always really important to kind of be in tune with who your child is and if there are any changes in their behavior. That would be more kind of where you would start. And when you identify that there has been a change... Mm-hmm. What what are the next steps? Like, what do, as a parent, what do I do? Yeah, right. Well, you know what? I, I think that when you do identify changes, it's a time to reach out. So some people tend to start with their family doctor who kind of may have a counselor who they feel comfortable with. Uh, you may prefer to just approach a counselor through the school. Um, maybe there's somebody within a religious community that you have a particular connection to. But I think my inclination would be is that if you are noticing a change, then then that is the opportunity to reach out and get some support for the child. And, and they, that may or may not include you and your family. Sure. It may be something that's just one-on-one for that child. Is there uh, general tips on how to talk to kids about Parkinson's? So I really always tend to recommend, um, you know, whatever the age are of children to share the diagnosis and the process about how it was diagnosed. You really want to provide information about the Parkinson's disease and, of course, taking into consideration the age and, and developmental stage of the children you know, you want to use language that's understandable to the child and also focus on kind of the symptoms and the behaviors that the child can relate to. So you don't necessarily want to tell them about symptoms that you don't exactly have right now, but talk to the symptoms that you do have. So it's just more relatable, more understandable for them. I often recommend to parents that they might even want to practice what they're going to say, either with each other or with a a friend or a relative, just to get really comfortable with the language and get really comfortable 
with the idea of sharing this diagnosis with your children. It can be quite emotionally charged. And what I've definitely heard from children is how they hear about the diagnosis, how it's presented to them. Uh, is very impactful on how they then go forward, you know, what their perception of this diagnosis is. At the end of the day, children need to know that they're going to be okay, that they're still going to be taken care of. And so I encourage parents to be able to convey that message. That's great. Uh, I also, I find that once we told my son about it, and it was pretty quick, as he was processing it, he was sharing that information with his friends, but also uh-huh. with strangers. So we'd be at Whole Foods, and he'd, he'd be talking to the cashier going, yeah, my dad has Parkinson's. <laughs> so when you tell your kids that you've got Parkinson's, don't be surprised if everybody starts to learn about it. <laughs> be prepared. That's right. And you, and, you know, you raise a really good point, actually, Larry, because there have been people who I've worked with who that's actually one of the reasons why they don't want to share it with their children is because they're not ready for it to be out there in the community. They're not ready for it to be shared with the their social network. And so some parents have told their children but said, hey, you know what, this, this is where I am in my disclosure. And we're going to just keep this within these confines for right now. And, you know, slowly we're going to open it up. But right now I needed to tell you, I needed you to know. And if you need to talk to somebody about this outside of our immediate family, well, we can make that happen. But it's okay for them to respect you know, each parent's need for privacy as well. Great. Elaine, we're looking forward to hearing more from you in Kyoto. Uh, Are you reading up on customs or learning the language? (laughs) Absolutely. What what have you learned? Well, um, most of my reading has actually been with respect to caregivers because I'm very involved in the Care Partner Lounge in Kyoto. And, uh, and, uh, what I've learned so far really is the, the, the care partner uh, in Japan does not receive nearly the amount of attention that our North American care partners receive. So I've kind of just been looking at a lot of that information and, and trying to gear the program so that we are going to be meeting their needs as those needs look different. And aside from you know the typical clothes and toiletries and stuff, any must-have items that are going to end up in your suitcase as you travel to Japan? Yeah, translator app on my phone. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. That is perfect. What a great tip. I need to okay. do that now. I look forward to seeing you there. Wonderful. Thank you, Larry. Each episode of WPC 2019, I'm going to provide a Kyoto life hack, a tip, a cultural insight, some etiquette advice, language lessons, an extra dosage travel guide to get us all better prepared for our trek in June. Now, none of us want to offend anyone or be embarrassed. So James Heron, the executive director of the Japanese Canadian Cultural Center, has agreed to join us each episode to teach us a word or phrase and provide some insight into the culture. James, let's start with the word or phrase of the week. It might be a little bit of a tongue twister, but it's probably one of the most useful expressions that uh, you can use in, in Japan. And that's the expression, Yoroshiku onegaishimasu. Yoroshiku onegaishimasu? <laughs> Yoroshiku? Yoroshiku? Onegaishimasu. Onegaishimasu. 
Special thanks to Tim Hague Sr. and Elaine Book, who served the Parkinson's community, and James Heron, all of whom joined us today. Thanks to Insight Productions, Bell Media, and CTV for the audio clips of The Amazing Race Canada Season 1. Visit WPC2019.org to learn about the upcoming Fifth World Parkinson Congress. It's a global Parkinson's event that opens doors to all members of the Parkinson's community, including those living with the disease. You can follow WPC on Twitter at World PD Congress. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free. You can search WPC 2019. You can search When Life Gives You Parkinson's. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca and WPC2019.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Parkinson's Pod, or email us, ParkinsonsPod at CuriousCast.ca. WPC 2019 is written and produced by me, Larry Gifford. Dila Velazquez is our story producer and sound designed by Rob Johnston. I look forward to seeing you in Kyoto. Matasta. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.